Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor for youth and families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, we're excited about you and your your wife and daughter moving to Tennessee and being installed there uh, at, at uh, first Pres in Dyersburg. I know you're going to be, uh, this may be a little inside baseball for some of our listeners, but you're going to be coming uh, before our presbytery next month uh, to officially uh, be ordained in the PCA. And so that's that's been exciting to watch that all happen. I am, I am. We actually had the credentials committee uh, meeting last week. Um, so actually this week, Tuesday of this week, we're reporting on a Friday. Um, but um, yeah, got got examined on the, the last little bit of we all get examined over six different areas in the in the PCA and we did the last two and turned in my papers and answered all the questions and they, they said I passed so we're, we're thankful for that absolutely that's 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 exciting and and for those outside of the PCA and outside of ordained ministry in our tribe that is a very daunting process with lots of Lots of uh, testing and examinations and hurdles and questions, and uh, as the Bible says, studying to show oneself approved. And so the that is no joke uh, in in the Presbyterian world. And uh, and so so kudos to you, congratulations on that. Well, hey, we're episode two of season three, and we are talking about hermeneutics, which is a big fifty cent word, but it basically hermeneutics which is not a word most people know. Hermeneutics just is just the art and science of interpreting the Bible, and it matters. It drives everything. This Christian faith that we have, uh, we know of it. We know of it because of our Bible and how we read our Bible, how we understand what a various passage, what various passages teach um, and their relevance to us. How we understand it is going to affect everything. And if there's and you could say if there's one thing that explains why there are so many denominations, uh, why, how is it that all of these groups, all of these Christians who all love Jesus, all of these Christians who all say the Bible is their only rule for faith and practice, uh, and some of them don't say the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice, but how is it, how is it that they disagree with each other? And so often the answer just, it comes down to hermeneutics is, is how are they understanding what scripture teaches and what applies and what doesn't. Yeah. You know, historically it was um, a little bit of a fear of the, the Catholic church when, the, when the reformers and guys before that started pushing to interpret the Bible and in, in layman's 
terms or, or language that that people could understand they were they were afraid of what the consequences would be and and some of the consequences are we all have different in, interpretations of, the, of these passages and and it's formed different uh, denominations within the Protestant faith and that's kind of a, an, it's an okay consequence um, of the freedom that we have to any person you don't have to have a master's in theology. You don't have to have gone to Oxford. Uh, anyone can can reopen the Bible and read it and understand it. That doesn't mean that all the denominations are are interpreting the scriptures correctly. We'll kind of we've obviously pushed back every episode on some of our other brothers and sisters of the faith and where where they see text. Uh, but there is still at the at the end of the day, the reformers on pushed for. Uh, the common person to be able to open their Bible, read it, and, and interpret it. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording today is, uh, you know, our hope is we're going to have some. We've, we're going to have a Hebrew scholar and Hebrew scholars, and maybe some Greek scholars on this season as we unpack some of these passages. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Miles Van Pelt, who's a, uh, a literally a world-renowned Hebrew scholar. Uh, wrote wrote the textbook for biblical Hebrew that is used by seminaries all over the world. Dr. Van Pelt is going to be on our podcast uh, this season to unpack some of that. We, we, we Last season, you'll recall, we had Chad Bird, who is more in the Lutheran tradition. He also is a Hebrew scholar. And as helpful as that is, what we want to make clear to everybody listening, and we need to say this carefully, Although we may have Greek and Hebrew scholars on to help us understand these passages, the Bible is not written in such a way that it's only accessible to experts. Right. The Bible is clear and understandable enough that the average person can open it up and discern its meaning. And so what is lacking in most Christians is uh, in their understanding of the Bible is not that they don't read they don't know how to read greek and hebrew the uh the original languages of the bible it's not that they don't have a master's degree in divinity it's not that they haven't been to seminary it's that nobody has ever sat down with them and helped them understand how to read the bible and instead of that they've gotten out of context badly handled bible verses that have not served them well in making sense of the bible yeah, I mean, even, you know, we mentioned being in the PCA as Presbyterians and as um, members of the Reform camp, uh, our confession does a really good job of, of saying what you just said about that you don't have to be a scholar to, to understand this. Actually, in chapter one of the confession uh, in section seven, it says all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear at all. It basically, there's parts of the scriptures that are hard to understand. Yet all these things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clear um, and opened in, in some place of the scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So it's really old English to say, hey, anybody can understand this. And and particularly the the parts of scripture pertaining to the gospel, the the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus for our salvation and what it looks like to have faith in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation alone. Uh, those things are clear for yeah. everybody. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there are passages in scripture. There are a handful of passages in scripture that even scholars scratch their head and say, pretty sure here's what this is saying this. Uh, but I'm, I'm open to correction on that. Uh, there are, there are some, some, uh, things in the scripture, a very small number of things. Let's be clear where in it, it does seem fuzzy. And the problem is not with scripture, but with our, our uh, grasp of it, our understanding of it, but yes, the vast majority of scripture is, is com- everything that we need to know um, is, is given to us in the pages of scripture uh, in, you know, Gage in Acts chapter eight, there is the story many people are familiar with of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch where, where Philip uh, sees a, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the scripture and it says in Acts chapter eight, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And, and the Ethiopian eunuch replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And, and then it goes through that. And so that's what we're hoping to do in this series is we're hoping to, to do that very thing. Um, the, you know, it doesn't say I can't under, he, the Ethiopian eunuch didn't say I can't understand and nobody can, but <laughs> I can, if you will help me. And so that's right. what we want to do is we want to help people understand how to read the Bible. And one of the ways we're going to do it is by each episode, picking a, ta- a text uh, or a passage or a verse and talking about this often misunderstood verse. Um, and, and I also want to say something to the onset. Sometimes I think the, the interpretation of these verses that are mishandled are mishandled so badly that, it, <laughs> that it's hard for us to correct it without coming off snarky. Sure. And so I, I want, I, I want uh, my prayer is that we will be humble and not just scoff and make fun at people who have been handling these passages badly. Um, but that we will be loving in how we do it. How, uh, with that said, we are going sometimes, sometimes our message is not, Hey, brother, sister, you're slightly off on that. Sometimes our message is you are not even in the same ballpark. You are way off. That doesn't mean anything like what you're saying. It means it's way off. Not only that, but what you're saying is actually harmful. Quite often. <laughs> yeah. Quite often. For, for sure. So, so the hope um, each week in our, our hermeneutics one-on-one series is going to be this. We're going to, we're going to read a passage. We're going to give you kind of a quick uh, history of, of kind of how this passage is, is typically been taught. Maybe you've, you're things you're familiar with how it's taught in the, um, in the church, good, good, bad, and ugly. And then we'll spend, uh, the last little bit of the episode kind of on air here showing you how we would read the passage and, and some of the steps we would take to interpret the passage in it, in its proper context and then apply it correctly. That's the hope. That's, that's, that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to attempt to do. And sometimes let me say this also, sometimes um, someone, somebody will draw out of a passage, a a meaning that is a meaning that the Bible does teach that. It's just, that's not, that's not what that verse is saying. That's not what, that's not what that verse is about. I'm not saying that what you're claiming that verse says 
<clears throat> is antithetical to the teaching of scripture. I'm just saying that's not what that's about. So Correct. Um, we, we may, we want to also define some of our terms as we go through this mm-hmm. um, in a fun way. And one of those is uh, exegesis uh, or exegete or exegetical uh, exegesis is the, is the practice of drawing out of the passage its correct meaning. Uh, what we want to do as we study the Bible is we want to do proper exegesis, proper drawing out of the text its meaning. What we can do in, in error, if we do not draw the right meaning out, what we will do is we will read our own meaning back into it. And that mm-hmm. is called eisegesis, to read a meaning back into it, which is what people often do is they say, is they make the verse say what they want it to say, which is not drawing out its meaning, but putting your own meaning into it. So uh, just a couple of vocabulary words to, to get us started. There we go. I like it. Uh, we may have to do like our, our brothers at Mockingbird and have a glossary uh, on our website of some, some words that we use on a regular basis like that. Um, so, Scott, what's the passage for for today? Well, I'm so glad you asked. The passage we're going to talk about today is the life verse of every kid in every evangelical youth group. Every uh, college kid is a, first of all, the whole idea of a life verse is a very kind of new thing Mm -hmm. uh, that I'm going to claim this verse, and this is my life verse. I don't even really know what that means. (laughs) I, I think the the intent is um, this particular verse um, resonates with me so well that I'm going to take it with me everywhere. Now, how they they interpret that and apply that sometimes gets messy. Um, you know, they'll they'll see it on a t-shirt, and so they have to buy the t-shirt because it has their life verse on it, or. Um, you know, they'll take a job because they were in an interview process and the boss had a calendar um, on their desk and their life verse was, was the verse that was on the calendar, little desk calendar. And so that must mean God wants them to have this job. I mean, it, it can get real messy on how you apply that. Yeah, that becomes um, voodoo. Yeah. But I think the intent uh, initially is that there are certain verses that resonate um, in such a way that you feel um, warmth towards them. And so you want to kind of say, Hey, this is, this is my verse. All right. Well, the verse we're going to talk about today is Jeremiah 29, 11. And let me read Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of our listeners are, can probably recite this back to us as I read it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. There's the verse. So uh, historically, Scott, how has this passage, um, how has evangelicalism typically dealt with this passage? Uh, it has been, I know you lost your job. I know you're in college and you haven't met the right boy yet. I, I know you're, uh, I know you're a frustrated teenager and you Again, I'm going to say, I'm trying not to sound snarky, but I just know how I saw it, right? I just right. know how I saw it right. as a youth. I know you're an awkward teenager uh, who doesn't have enough friends and feels bullied. I know you are um, 
trying to decide where you're going to go to college. I know you're trying to figure out and I just want, and, and, and here is God speaking to you gauge right mm-hmm. now. And he has a word for you and God's word for gauge is gauge. He knows the plans he has for you plans for a future and for a hope and not for evil and for wholeness of prime mm-hmm. plans to plans to uh, prosper you. Um, I, I, I thought about, we might even actually look at, uh, I don't have it in front of me now. Um, read it in, in the NIV, which actually may, may actually be a little more, um, a little, a little more flowery. So, um, mm-hmm. yep. Um, yeah, here, let's see what it says in the, in the, uh, in the, in the NIV. It, it's, it, it sounds even, even, even more uh, as though it is uh, specifically for me. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in the in the NIV says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future." So, uh, everybody likes prosperity. So, yeah, and, what, and what was and this? Is one of those things where, at some level, we talked about this. At some level, the principle is there, but it's not there in this passage. The principle is correct, but the passage is inaccurate. So the principle, does God have a plan? Yes, he's completely sovereign. He um, is outside of time. Um, He's omniscient. He's he's omnipresent. Uh, He knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the, the Omega. Virtue of that fact, he has a plan. We even know that that plan um, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was prepared before time, the history of redemption, that um, they would have a people for their own possession for every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's, that's the way the book ends, right? Everybody gathered around the throne, worshiping the lamb. Yet, while that principle is true, let's dig in a little bit and, and see and ask the question, is that what this passage is talking about? And, right. and is that actually um, helpful? Uh, we could press a little bit on the prosperous part. Um, I don't know that um, Paul, who was beaten with a cat of nine tails three times and received 39 lashes minus one and was left shipwrecked and, and for dead and stoned and, and beaten and imprisoned. I don't know that he would say that the Lord um, meant for him to prosper. That it feels like the opposite of prosper. Um, you know, but that's some of the, the effects of the prosperity gospel and American evangelicalism a little bit. Um, but let's, let's dig in a little bit, Scott. So what's the first thing we want to do with this text to under, to understand what exactly it's saying? Well, I think the first thing that we do is, is that we read the, is that we, we zoom out and we read, um, wider. So at the very least we read the preceding verses, um, or the the preceding chapter, or, but right. ideally, ideally, we may even read the entire book of Jeremiah. But I think we can, in order to get our head around around what's going on in in Jeremiah twenty nine, I don't think we even have to. I don't think we even have to to um, leave the chapter. But, yeah. I don't think we have to leave the chapter. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> don't worry, um, listeners. We're not going to read the entire book of Jeremiah. This yeah, that, yeah, that's season four. Um, <laughs> so, because again, what we want to say is, is, you hear those words and you say that that sounds encouraging, and I do like being encouraged. Um, 
Yeah, I've got it pulled up as well. Um, I do like being encouraged. So should I, is, is that a verse I, Scott and Gage, should take comfort from mm-hmm. in whatever is going on with me? Um, and so, it, in other words, who is being spoken to here? Who mm-hmm. is the original intended audience? Who is Jeremiah talking to? Who is God talking to? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You have mm-hmm. to just ask. Who's the you? Who's the you? Who is the you? Let's let's put some let's put some people with those pronouns. So, right. Um, I'll read it for us. Let's, let's start. Let's start in verse one, and just read the first. Read up to verse eleven here. Um, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent to from Jerusalem. So we got the the authors Jeremiah. He's sending a letter from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Hey, guess what? That's, there's your audience right yep. there. We know exactly who you're yeah, talking we don't, to. And, and listen, that didn't take a, a, a that didn't take a, a, a doctorate in Hebrew to get that. Like, this is very clear. <laughs> right. Let's keep going. This was after King uh, Jeconiah. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. The, the confident, the thing is you got to say it real fast and confident and people don't know. That's right. Um, And the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa Uh and the son of Shaphan and Jemariah and the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Stop right there. Stop right there. Again, in case you missed who he's talking to. It's to the exiles. In in verse verse 1. Which here, here's these are the words the prophet sent to the survivor. Right? Verse one, and then again in verse four. Yes. So, so, uh, so not, we know who, God's not playing the, the three shell game. Um, yes, this isn't three card Monty where you got to try to guess the audience. We know exactly who this is. These are to the exiles um, that were taken in exile by Nebuchadnezzar. So then he says, verse five: Build houses, live in them plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, uh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's another verse that we could have a whole episode on, on how social justice uh, tends to uh, co-opt that. Sure. Verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I do not send them declares the Lord. So this is huge before we get to verse 10, because going all the way back to uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, remember Moses gives the qualifications of what an authentic prophet is, how you know the prophet is from the Lord. One of the things is is 100% accuracy. 
right? If if what the prophet says doesn't come true, they're not from me. The Lord is telling you, hey, what they're telling you is a lie. They're not from me. He's being real clear. And in verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then it gets into front of the plans I have for you. So what did we learn, Scott? We learned who the author was, Jeremiah. We learned who the author is writing to, and it's to the the exiles taken into captivity uh, by Nebuchadnezzar when when they went into Babylonian captivity because of their sin, right? Uh, Three, we understand that there's a conflict. And the conflict is you've got prophets on one side telling them everything's going to be great. Um, this is, this is going to be fine. Um, this is going to be for a couple months or so, and we'll be out of this. And you got Jeremiah going, Hey, you better buckle down and you better have some kids and some grandkids because you're going to be here for a little bit. And how long? 70 years. You're going to be here for 70 years, um, in, in captivity. But while you're there, you're going to have time, start businesses, build houses, have families, have, have marriages, have, have weddings, give your daughters away, have grandkids, um, be beneficial, be good citizens where you're at, because you're going to be there for a little bit and, and life around you would be better if you actually invest in your community. This is how long you're going to be there for, I know the plans I have for you. And it's in contrast to the conflict of the false prophets that are saying the opposite of what Jeremiah has been saying to them for now, 28 chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a second. I, I was wanting to open a Christian coffee shop and I wasn't sure if it was going to succeed. I was going to call it Hebrews or uh, Jehovah Java. Two uh, names I've actually run across. Holy grounds. Holy grounds. Um, and I thought that this verse was God telling me from the scriptures, it's going to succeed. Now, I, I said at the beginning, I don't want to be snarky here. And I'm, I'm trying not to be snarky, but I'm, that's, the, that's the thought process that happens when we take, when we rip things out of context. And we, I mean, I, Gage, this is one of those, this is one of those things where we are going to, you know, we try to talk for about 20 or 30 minutes on each episode about a particular mm-hmm. verse. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a passage is such that you really need to, open up your hermeneutical toolbox and you need to get out various tools to get to work on it and untangle it. Right. You think about right. You think about that scene in um, national lampoons, Christmas vacation when, when <laughs> with the Christmas lights, <laughs> with the ball of Christmas lights, when Chevy chase says to his son, uh, Oh, you're going to help here untangle this. And he reaches into the box and he grabs a strand of Christmas lights and it's one giant ball, like about the size of a beach ball. Here, untangle this. Sometimes we're gonna we're gonna tackle a passage that really is really hard to get our head around. It really is. Right. But this is one that it's it's really not. Like I don't at all. We, we don't have to we don't have to give anybody a miniature lesson in how the Bible functions. We don't have to talk a whole lot about about a lot of other things we just have to go let's zoom out and see who's who before you before you um 
before you you uh, um, rip that out and apply that to yourself, who's being talked about? It, right. It, Gage, if I went and if I went and um, and stole mail out of your mailbox, and it was an encouraging note from your grandmother to you, and I read it and I took comfort in it because I just read the "I love you" and I'm praying for you and I just know things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I right? Am I right to draw encouragement? No, the letter wasn't written to me. Um, right. Now. So that's, first of all, what we've dealt with so far is we've dealt with context yep. and we've dealt with, with, um, authorial intent. Yeah. What did the author mean when he wrote it? Yeah. Who, and, 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 uh, yeah. Authorial intent. What did the author mean when he wrote it? And, and who was the original audience? Right. right. That's kind of, those are kind of some of the uh, tools that we've already applied and it hasn't been hard to apply them. We just, we just rewound a little bit and read the preceding verses and, right. and it made it really clear that we can't put an exacto knife around verse 11 and just cross stitch that on a pillow and, and claim that. So we need to, we need to, some Christians will be like, well, I should just throw out the whole old Testament. Then I should unhitch from it. Yeah. Then. Please don't do that. Please don't Please. do that. So uh, with all of that, with all of that caution, with all of that pushback, um, we're not saying that the book of Jeremiah is valueless for the Christian today. Um, so the the follow up question. So so the the sloppy the sloppy understanding of Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven is that applies to me in whatever way I want to decide it applies to me. Right. A pendulum swing the other way that's going in the right direction is maybe Jeremiah didn't have my um, my multi-level marketing plan in mind when or my, or my college applications or yeah. my college applications or or yeah. whatever right even my my fertility issues my sure. uh, my search for a spouse um, so my my very serious things right my right. very serious important things that matter. And and are um, and can be soul wrenching, difficult things. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jeremiah didn't intend uh, this to be something that I claim, um, and therefore, why am I wasting my time in Jeremiah? So right. the next question is, how do we, how do we as Christians in 2020 apply this? Apply this, and mm-hmm. what does it what does it mean for us? now because there is a there is a uh um there is a a school of thought among among some of our christian brothers and sisters who are rightly responding to the cross-stitched pillow life verse claim and they're rightly responding by just saying that is nothing for you except just family history you've been grafted into israel right and you need to see how god providentially cared for the Israelites in their captivity. And so that's just kind of informational for you. Mm-hmm. It's not of any value. Um, is that, is that the right way to think through that? I, I mean, I think at some level there, there is some truth and some help to that, that um, for us in the 21st century, as Christians, we can read um, 
where you can read the text and this gets a little bit, we'll get, have a whole discussion about um, the dispensational camp versus the covenant theology camp. At some level, those of us that are in the, in the covenant theology camp, we're going to read the text and we're going to say, um, I could now read the old Testament knowing that the people of God didn't start in the book of acts. Right. People of God go, go throughout the, the entire Bible. And so how was God, um, addressing and how was God disciplining like a good, good dad, his children, um, in the old Testament and, and how, how then can, can I read that? There is some truth to that, but I think it's, I would argue, and, and I think you would agree, Scott, that it's that plus something. Yes. Would you agree? So, yeah, I would. so what would that be? Uh, that is, um, and that, that plus something is, is, how is this, this is our favorite question to ask uh, in the Reformed world as we unpack the scripture, how is this pointing to Christ? Right. How, how is this about Jesus? This the, is what we mean when we say Christocentric, right? Like, Christocentricity. Christo, yeah. how, how do we have, we want to have a hermeneutic that is Christ-centered because we are convinced that the entire Bible is about Christ. And, and you know, we may, we may benefit really gauge from doing an entire episode on Luke 24 on the road mm-hmm. to Emmaus because, mm-hmm. well, let me read Luke 24 for you uh, because uh, understanding Luke 24 is a key to help us understand how we're to read the old Testament. And uh, in, in Luke 24, Jesus, the resurrected Christ appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus who are confused about what to make of things that they've seen. And Jesus says to them, I'm just going to pick it up at verse 25. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that includes Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was a prophet. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus gives these two disciples on the road to Emmaus as they are walking. He gives them a Christ-centered hermeneutic of all of the Old Testament. Moses and all the prophets. Well, Moses wrote Genesis. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And so we have to ask then, according to, according to what Jesus has said, the old te- he's the central figure of the Old Testament. So we, we pick that up. Therefore, we need to ask that question. We need to say, what's the context? What's the authorial intent? Who's the original audience being spoken to here? Um, and then the last question we ask now is we say, how does this passage find its ultimate meaning, its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus and what he has done? Right. Uh, first, first Peter understood this, uh, or Peter understood this when he wrote his first epistle um, in chapter one, when he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, and so Jeremiah and others, uh, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that they have now announced to you have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things unto which angels long to look. So we, we see 
when you, when you take Jesus's hermeneutics class on the road to Emmaus and you couple that with the apostles, because the, the entire church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? Right. Um, the apostles are saying, man, hey, everything that these prophets were, were looking forward to is for your benefit so that you can look and see Jesus. So now that we understand that, Scott, how do we then apply this Christocentric, this Christ-centered hermeneutic to Jeremiah 29, 11, and then by extension, apply it to yeah. our yeah. lives? Yeah, I, I think about one more before we answer that. I think of Second Corinthians chapter chapter one when Paul says, "For all the promises of God find their yes in Him." That is why uh, that is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. Or I think as the King James says, "All the all the all the promises of God find their yea and Amen in Jesus." Mm-hmm. And so. Let's take those. Let's take that that we that the New Testament teaches because we want to read our Bible backwards. We want to let the only inspired, infallible commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament, mm-hmm. and we want to read our Bible the way that Jesus and the apostles tell us to read it. And so, therefore, uh, let's read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven this way: For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for Jesus. <laughs> plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope in Christ, in Christ. Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this because the, the, um, because Jesus is the central figure of the Bible, because all the promises of God find their yea and amen in Christ. And so if we have, if we have Christ, we have the means by which God is able to give us a future and a hope. The way that God is able to spare us from evil is because he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And so how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, mm-hmm. as Paul says in Romans 8. And so um, when we take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, and we remove it from its original context and we apply it to something that neither God nor Jeremiah meant it to be a comment. We're not making the scripture say more than God intended. We're neutering it. We're making it say less. We're watering it down and we're making it about something less than Christ. Because if we make it about something other than Christ, we've made it about something less than Christ because Christ is preeminent. Christ is above all things. I think that's a good place to wrap up, Scott. Um, uh, One resource uh, I would commend uh, to everybody and it would be uh, be helpful in this is um, Edmund Clowney has a book called Preaching Christ in All of Scripture uh, that would be really really helpful to get and understand like how we're we're processing this and how we're um, seeing Jesus uh, in in every text and ultimately pointing everything towards Him. That'd be a great resource. Uh, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Um, if you have any questions about um, what we said here or any any pushback or or thoughts we'd love to dialogue with you you can always hit us up on uh, facebook instagram or twitter uh, or you can uh, email us uh, through our website at contact at assuranceofpardon.com and as always this is assurance of pardon god bless